Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for the latest edition of our Ropes and Gray podcast on financial regulatory developments of interest to private fund managers. I'm Joel Wattenbarger, an asset management partner based in our New York office. And I'm joined today, as usual, by David Titsworth, counsel based in our DC office. And today we'll be discussing reg best interest and related developments, also touching on state fiduciary duty rule proposals. Uh, We'll give you an update on developments on Capitol Hill, quick update on a couple of developments at the CFTC, and end with some news pretty much hot off the presses as of recording time uh, regarding the Financial Stability Oversight Council. But before we get to any of that, uh, David, the last time we convened for one of these podcasts, the federal government was in shutdown. So we're happy to note that we're done with shutdowns for this government fiscal year. Can you tell us a little bit more about sort of the status of the government shutdown as we sit here today? Absolutely. So it may seem like old news to uh, some of you, but uh, after a 35-day, the longest shutdown in history, partial government shutdown, I guess to be technically correct, all of the federal government is up and running. There was legislation that was passed by both the House and the Senate and signed by the president. And I think a couple things that uh, people should just be aware of. Number one, the shutdown is over. Number two, this will take the SEC and other agencies with funding levels, with appropriations from Congress through the end of this federal fiscal year, which means September 30th, 2019. So there will not be any more shutdowns due to lack of appropriations for the next several months. And I think, Joel, as as we've talked about, uh, the SEC lost a little time, certainly in terms of uh, some of its rulemaking efforts. But as far as we can tell right now, the agency is back up and running. I believe some of our clients are being visited by examiners from OC. Um, so it's uh, back to business as usual. Great. Well, now that we are back to business as usual, the SEC, amongst other things, is presumably turning its attention to what Chairman Clayton has described as his highest priority, which is reg best interest and the sort of package of related actions by the SEC that were part of a proposed rulemaking package last year. Given the importance of that to Chairman Clayton and and the commissioners, I wanted to ask you to just give us sort of an update. Uh, Where does that stand right now? What sort of recent developments are you aware of concerning uh, that rulemaking package? So regulation best interest form client relationship summary or CRS and a proposed interpretation of fiduciary duty under the Advisors Act are the three big components of this rulemaking that the SEC proposed last April, in April of 2018. The answer to your question is that we do not have a definitive time frame for when a final rule will be proposed, but there are hints that that could come sooner rather than later. Uh, In the meantime, sort of like, you know, having a dead fish on your kitchen counter, this rulemaking can just continue to attract flies, as it were. And so not that these are huge developments necessarily, Joel, but for example, last month in February, the Institutional Limited Partners Association, a trade group that represents large institutional investors to uh, private funds, 
wrote another letter to the SEC about Reg BI and raised all sorts of issues, asking the SEC, for example, to rescind the Heitman no-action letter that deals with whether you can put certain hedge clauses uh, in advisory agreements or making SEC enforcement settlements with private fund advisors uh, conditional on advisors not seeking indemnification from their investors. There was a whole laundry list of requests from ILPA to the SEC. I think other trade associations, certainly the American Investment Council representing private equity investors or private equity funds, um, has already written a letter in response to ILPA. Uh, other trade groups are considering the same sort of thing. But this, again, it's just sort of exemplary of how during one of these rulemakings, issues continue to be raised until uh, there is a final rule. Uh, one other example is that a number of former SEC senior economists, it certainly caught my eye going back to 1982, so several decades worth of senior economists wrote a letter to the SEC about Reg BI saying that the economic analysis is fundamentally flawed. Um, and that the SEC has not really followed its own guidelines regarding economic analysis. So th that's just two examples, Joel, of recent developments. Actually, I think you might want to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the states that might uh, be related to Reg BI. That's right. Thank you, David. And certainly one of the trends that we've noticed developing uh, recently is states who I think uh, probably fair to say are acting out of a sense that there's uh, of, of sort of frustration with the pace and the course of rulemaking over fiduciary duty or related standards applicable to broker dealers and potentially investment advisors at the federal level. Some states are looking to sort of rush into that vacuum from their perspective and either pass laws at the state legislative level or, in the case of at least one state, actually embark on a rulemaking uh, with respect to state securities regulators that differ in their details, but the general thrust of which would be to impose explicitly fiduciary duties on broker-dealers and potentially uh, some sort of new fiduciary duty standard for investment advisors as well that are doing business in the states at issue. And states where we've seen these developments, including Nevada, which is probably farthest along, Nevada has passed legislation, is in a rulemaking process now on this topic, as well as New Jersey and Maryland. We anticipate we may see this in other states as well this year. So very interesting. When I saw this and have been asked about this by clients, you know, one of my immediate reactions, and I know I'm not alone in this, was uh, to sort of scratch my head and say, at least with respect to investment advisors, um, you know, is there an issue here of federal preemption? Uh, because I'm sure many listeners are aware, NISMIO, which was a statute passed at the federal level 20-plus years ago now, um, is intended to preclude substantive state regulation uh, with respect to federally registered investment advisors. And we're not going to take you on this podcast into the weeds of the specific state laws and proposals that are out there, but at least some of these laws and proposals are drafted so that there's at least some ambiguity as to how the proposed rules would apply with respect to investment advisors, including federally registered investment advisors that have some business connection to that state. We're not the only ones to have had this observation. The IAA, the Investment Advisors Association, filed a comment letter in Nevada recently to this effect. 
commenting from the other direction. NASA, the state securities regulatory group, um, has recently submitted a letter in Nevada supporting the new rules in Nevada and uh, setting forth their view that the rules are not preempted by federal law. And you know, I think I probably would agree with that position, at least with respect to aspects of the new rules, again, without getting into the details. Um, but I think for investment advisors, there will be really a question as to how these rules will apply, if at all, particularly with respect to the activities of federally registered investment advisors. So this is one to keep an eye on. The, the one additional observation I'll make is just in the last day, there was a news story uh, where Commissioner Hester Peirce, one of the SEC commissioners speaking at a conference, effectively encourage states to wait to see how the federal process plays out with respect to the developments that David was just discussing, Reg Best Interest, and, and then the sort of related package of uh, regulatory initiatives, noting that she expects the package to be finalized soon, which is interesting. We'll see what soon means, um, but effectively encouraging the states to sort of hold off on taking action that may be inconsistent with or overlap with what the SEC is doing currently at the federal level. Uh, so we'll certainly keep an eye on that and see how that plays out. I want to move on from talking about those developments to uh, moving to Capitol Hill and talking a little bit about what's happening from a legislative perspective uh, with the federal government. So we know that in a time of divided government and, and heightened partisanship, it's difficult to get legislation on whether it's financial reform topics or any other topic passed on Capitol Hill. Uh, but there have been some recent developments of note and wanted to start by asking if uh, you, David, could Give us a quick recap of the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee's legislative priorities as he's articulated them recently. I'll be very quick, Joel. So Mike Crapo, a senator from Idaho who chairs the Senate Banking Committee, uh, put out a statement just a few weeks ago uh, saying this is essentially what his priorities for the committee's agenda in the coming Congress are, it's very vague. So it's it's hard to take away too many specifics, but he mentions three areas that are worth mentioning. First, capital formation. So that would include matters dealing with corporate governance, uh, proxy advisors, which has certainly been uh, a hot issue, and reducing burdens for small businesses. Um, the second area is data collection, privacy, and security. This should not come as a shock to anybody. I think with the breaches that have been very high profile and involving millions of consumers and uh, the release of personally identifiable information, both uh, in the public uh, as well as the, the private sectors, it's no surprise that uh, there is potential legislative action, uh, even in the Senate, relating to data collection, privacy, and security. And then the third area that he mentions, a broad area, again, is fintech. So that is looking at new and innovative products and services. It certainly includes one of our favorite topics, digital payments and currencies. So initial coin offerings and cryptocurrency, as well as other topics. So I wouldn't hold my breath, Joel. Uh, the Senate is still where you uh, will look to see if there are 60 votes, uh, so some level of bipartisanship that'll be required if there's going to be any legislation. But those are some broad hints of areas that the Senate Banking Committee will be looking at during the coming months. Great. Thank you, David. I saw the statement from Senator Crapo. One other thing that, that jumped out to me is he did make reference to 
a piece of legislation from the last Congress, the Jobs and Investor Confidence Act of 2018, which um, obviously wasn't ultimately enacted into law, but passed the House by a substantial margin. And interesting that he referenced that legislation there. That was sort of a grab bag of securities law reform provisions across a number of different areas. But one that would be notable probably to many listeners of this podcast was a provision that would expand the accredited investor definition under Reg D to pick up, amongst other things, uh, certain persons who, by virtue of their uh, experience or educational background and professional responsibilities, um, might qualify as accredited investors under this legislation, even though they didn't otherwise meet the income and net worth thresholds that folks are familiar with currently under Reg D. So that's certainly an area that we'll be tracking. That would be a piece of legislation that would certainly be of interest to folks in the private fund community. Uh, the one other piece of legislative uh, development I wanted to pass on on this podcast was there was a bill that passed the House at the end of January by a resounding vote of 413 to 3 that was legislation to mandate an SEC study of insider trading law and focus in particular on 10b-5-1 trading plans. And there's been a sense that those trading plans may be susceptible to abuse by corporate insiders. Um, and so this is a bill that would effectively mandate the SEC to conduct a study, but with an eye towards presumably amendments to the rules, uh, potentially tightening the terms on which um, issuers and other insiders could enter into 10b-5-1 trading plans. So there's now been a companion bill introduced in the Senate by Senator Van Hillen of Maryland. Unclear at this point, I'd say very unclear, you know, whether that legislation is going to move forward at all. But certainly a number of our clients do uh, use 10b-5-1 trading plans or are familiar with those plans. And, you know, if that legislation progresses, we'll certainly keep uh, this group updated. So next, I wanted to move to just a quick discussion of a couple of recent uh, developments related to the CFTC. And the first is just to note that there continues to be a fair amount of what I think I would describe as sort of background noise regarding the possibility of some sort of streamlining of uh, the SEC and the CFTC's sort of regulatory mandates. And the MFA, the hedge fund industry group, has been pushing the idea of a sort of primary regulator scheme so that in circumstances where a particular fund manager, say, was subject to both SEC oversight as a registered investment advisor, as well as CFTC oversight as a commodity pool operator and commodity trading advisor, that one of those regulators, based on the preponderance of the firm's activity, would be designated as a primary regulator, and there would be some sort of safe harbor given so that if the primary regulator gave relief or took action in a certain area, um, the firm would have comfort that the other regulator couldn't come in and bring some sort of enforcement action based on a disagreement between, uh, you know, interpretations of a given rule between the two regulators. And, you know, for what it's worth, uh, Commissioner Peirce, who we've already referenced on this podcast, and CFTC Commissioner Quinters have reportedly been working together on the possibility of some sort of, again, streamlining of SEC and CFTC regulatory mandates. So stay tuned on that front. The other thing I just wanted to note briefly is that uh, CFTC Chairman Giancarlo has already been uh, announced that he's planning to step down in the relatively near future. Exact date still to be determined. There's been some press reports about what his priorities may be in terms of the closing months of his tenure as chair. Um, certainly one area that he has publicly pushed for in the past has been reforms of the SEF, the Swap Execution Facility Rules. Some conflicting reports out there about the extent to which he may continue to push forward on that topic before um, he retires. 
or, or I should say steps down as CFTC chair. So we'll continue to monitor that, but I, you know, I expect that we'll see some further activities and, and further announcements from the CFTC as, as he moves towards stepping down as chair. And then the last topic, and I wanted to turn to you, David, was as we record here on March 8th, uh, there's been news just within the last day concerning the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is of, I think, real interest to private fund managers, particularly the larger uh, private fund managers. And I just wanted to turn it over to you to give us a quick update there. So we'll end on some good news. Um, And this really goes back to the beginning of the Trump administration when he issued an executive order directing the Treasury Department to do a report on the FSOC, Financial Stability Oversight Council, designations that were uh, authorized under the Dodd-Frank Act uh, more than a decade ago and have been roundly criticized, especially by members of the asset management industry. So yesterday, FSOC, the super regulator, all the banking regulators, the SEC, the CFTC, that was created by the Dodd-Frank Act, unanimously put forward a new proposal for public comment uh, that relates to non-bank financial company designations. In my humble opinion, all of this proposal, the 64 pages, move in the right direction. Um, Basically, what the asset management industry, including hedge fund managers, has been argued to uh, policymakers is that designating non-bank significantly institutional financial institutions is really uh, antithetical to the way that the asset management industry is constructed. Asset managers, including hedge funds, are fully substitutable by investors. It's really an agency relationship. There's been no compelling evidence that asset management activities have presented a threat to the financial stability of the United States, uh, as well as the fact that all asset management firms are already subject to comprehensive regulatory inspection enforcement programs by uh, their primary regulator, which is the SEC. So without going into any great detail, the proposal that came out yesterday will uh, look at financial risks uh, for for non-banks on an activities-based approach rather than a company-by-company approach. Um, Second, they'll perform a cost-benefit analysis before they designate any non-bank financial company. Uh, They'll assess the likelihood that a non-bank company's material financial distress would actually occur uh, before taking any action, and they'll make a number of different changes to FSOC's procedures that'll create a more efficient, effective uh, designation process. Joel, all of these could bear um, you know, further elaboration. I'd be happy to speak to anybody about the details. This is a proposed rule, 60-day comment period. I imagine our firm will be working with some interest groups in uh, providing some comments on this. But the bottom line is this is good news. Asset managers, including hedge funds, private funds, should not be regulated as banks, period. Well, I agree, David, and it's uh, good to end on good news. I cannot promise that we will do so on every podcast, but uh, thank you for that happy update. And thank you for joining me today for this insightful discussion more generally. 
for more information on the topics that we discussed today or other topics of interest to the asset management community, please visit our website, www.ropesgray.com. And of course, if we can help you navigate any of the topics we discussed today, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Stay tuned for future podcasts on the latest developments in this space. And thank you for listening.